With Christmas around the corner, we celebrate this Advent season in our next series, Goodwill. We will be looking at famous Christmas carols and how these familiar songs lead us to the birth of our Savior Jesus. If you are interested in knowing more about Jesus, Christianity, or our community of faith at Christ Church at Grove Farm, I encourage you to reach out to us on our website, ccgf.org. Our pastors and staff would love to connect with you and assist you in your walk with Christ. Here's the message from this week. Grace and peace to you. Well, don't you love the music this morning with Brad and with Anna and Chris Wu? Chris, we're really grateful to have you with us. If you don't know, Chris is the premier violinist in the area. No offense to those of you who are violinists, but he's the best. He's incredible, and we're really blessed to have him. He loves Jesus, and he's using his gift to glorify God, and of course, you're enjoying his music on the album. Uh, Looking ahead to the new year, I know it's a little bit early for that. We have a lot to get through, but I I just want to put something in front of you. As we do look ahead, we want to plan ahead, and we want to plan ahead in reading God's Word. So beginning January 1, I would like for each of you to consider joining us in kind of an all-church deal where we're going to read through the life-focused New Testament, read through the New Testament together. If you don't have one of these, you got to pick one up because it's divided into 365 readings. It's the New Testament, and um, we'll read through this, I think, as a church family together. It'd be really neat. You could pick one up today. Um, they're going to be in the Minton Commons. You could buy one for $15, or check this out, you can buy two for $25 and give one to someone else and have them join along in reading with us too. And, and I always want to say this. If you're like, man, I wish I could have one of those, but we're, we're so tight right now, we can't have anything outside of our budget. Listen, come and tell us, we'll give one to you. We, we don't want that to be a hindrance. So please, plan on joining and you got some time. I want to get in front of you early on and we're going to read through God's Word, the New Testament together next year. Let's pray. God, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the gift of the scriptures, and thank you, God, most of all, for the gift of your Son who is revealed to us by your word. And as we read the scriptures this morning, and we consider him in this Christmas season, we pray, God, you reveal yourself to us. Show yourself to us, Lord. We open our hearts to you. Teach us according to your word and by your spirit. Thanks for the music and for the scriptures and Robbie's leadership and prayer. Thank you for our fellowship here, God. And now, speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, are you like me? Do you like Christmas lights? All the Christmas light displays around the city? Pittsburgh, I think Pittsburgh's like a notch above most of the, the, the rest of the country. We have great Christmas light displays. Here's one, Point State Park. Isn't that beautiful? What a great shot. I think they, they brought that back. There was a threat that they weren't going to do it, but they brought it back, which is really good. And then there's Phipps Conservatory. You ever been there and seen this? If you haven't been there to see this, you got to check it out. It's amazing. I was driving through my neighborhood just the other day, and I saw a very um, gaudy uh, Christmas display. I have a picture of it here to show you. I mean, it was unbelievable. (laughs) Leave that up there for a second. That guy looks familiar to me. I mean, it just... A little over the top, don't you think? (laughs) Love the Christmas displays. And, and are you enjoying the Christmas lights in Minton Commons this season? Isn't it great? I mean, so beautiful. A lot of people put work into that and had some vision for it. It's really neat. And, and, and I want to tell you, it's all intentional. I mean, there's a lot of lights out there. Thousands and thousands of lights on display. That's not just a decor choice. That's intentional. Because it speaks to something. It speaks to who God is. It speaks to who 
we are. You know, um, if you really want to appreciate that display, if you haven't been here at night, come at night. Because when you come here at night, that all just sparkles in front of your eyes. When you show up and you see that star hanging in the, the carport there where you pull in, it's amazing. you got to see it at night because the darkness makes it really come alive. Speaking of darkness, there are a lot of people, a lot of you, who are discouraged by the darkness in this world. I've talked to you. We've had some conversations about it. And, and you're, you're discouraged by the, the darkness of, of broken homes. You're, you're discouraged by the darkness of politics. You're discouraged by the, the darkness of our culture. And the darkness of our cities. I mean, just this week, there was a four-year-old who was murdered. You're discouraged by by the, the, the darkness of addiction, the darkness of anxiety. We can go on and on and on. You may be discouraged this morning by the darkness of your own heart and the things that you find yourself to be capable of. There's a lot of darkness. And it can be discouraging. But I want to tell you this. There is a light. And there's a light that shines in the darkness. The darkness of your life. The darkness of this world. And there is a light that shines brightly in the darkness of the world. That's what we're going to be talking about here this morning. Uh, there, are, there are people, Robbie's already read the scripture, there are people in the Old Testament who absolutely were discouraged by darkness. Clearly. We're going to look at the message of, of that text. Now we're reading from Isaiah. And Pastor Ed, last week, and also during the light tonight, referred to the prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus. Over 300 of them. And he gave us that great illustration that just shows the significance of all those, those prophecies and the improbability of them being fulfilled in one person, Jesus Christ. It's amazing. We're going to look at one of those prophecies this morning from the book of Isaiah. Now, I just want to show you one thing from the book of Isaiah because I think this is interesting and important. You know, there are some who think, oh, the Bible, it's kind of like, you know, a fairy tale book. And if, 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 that's, if you struggle with that, if you struggle with the authenticity of God's Word or the reliability of it, let me tell you, there's so much evidence that shows us that God's Word is absolutely reliable and authentic. In fact, Bible, biblical archaeology has made some incredible discoveries. Here's one. Uh, show them this seal. This is the Isaiah seal. This artifact was discovered in 2018, I believe it was. And this is an original seal of the prophet Isaiah, confirming in history there was a real figure, he was significant, and we have some evidence that he existed 2,700 years ago. Isn't that amazing? And so what we're going to hear today is a message that was written to people 2,700 years ago, but it still has meaning for us today, particularly if you're discouraged by the darkness. So let's go to the scriptures here. We're going to look back again at Isaiah chapter 9, we're in the Old Testament. We're going to start with verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress in the past. He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Let's stop there for a second. Let's talk about these two areas because they're important to this message. Zebulun and Naphtali. So let me show you a map here of ancient Israel. Check this out. 
Um, if you look at, I believe it's Numbers 2 and 3. Numbers 2 and 3, those are the places we're talking about. Zebulun and Naphtali. These are part of the northern kingdom of Israel. Later on, they would become what you know as Samaria. Okay, so these are parts of the ancient you know, kingdom of Israel. Now, um, these two areas, the scripture tells us, were humbled. Here's what the scripture says. And I think this is interesting. It says, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That's, that's significant. What was, was hard for them at that time was actually done not outside of God's purview, but within it. You see, God humbled them. That's really interesting. Here's how we know he humbled them. We know this from, from the history books. The Bible doesn't mention this guy's name, but we know this happened. There was the Assyrian conquest. This is 735 B.C., thereabouts, the Assyrian conquest. And there was a guy, kind of like a Joseph Stalin-like figure. Okay? His name was Tiglath-Pileser. And this man uh, led forces that drove through the heart of those territories, Zebulun and Naphtali decimated and destroyed cities. And, and, and as, as a result of that, the people there were taken into captivity. So these were awful times. You think some of the times now we're having are rough? Listen, let me tell you about 735 B.C. in the northern kingdom. It was awful. And I can only imagine that those people were discouraged by the darkness of the world. They were probably wondering, hey, where's the goodwill? Where's the goodwill of God? You know, I think it's important to mention this. It says that he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And, and I, I really struggled with that this week. It's like, man, that's pretty heavy. What took place in their days that was really difficult didn't happen outside of God's sovereignty. And so it leads me to this conclusion, and I think this is important to say. God will humble us. He actually does this out of his mercy. He actually does this because he loves his people. God will humble us. He will humble a, a people who are materialistic. He will humble a people who are violent. He will humble a perverse people. God will humble a selfish people. It's, it's the reality. And, and what we're talking about here is the darkness. We're going to talk about the darkness. We're going to talk about the light. We're going to talk about you. But right now we're talking about the darkness, and, and the truth of the matter is God will humble us. And, and, and the people who were humbled in these days, well, resulted in what the Scripture describes as gloom and distress. It says there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. You see, those people living in that area were experiencing gloom and distress. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm feeling that right now in this sermon too, Pastor Craig. Thanks a lot for all the gloom and distress. We'll get to the light, I promise you. But let's talk about the gloom and distress because if you read the scriptures, you'll get a sense of where the gloom and distress are coming from. Just back up. So we're in Isaiah 9. If you back up to the end of chapter 8, you get a little more of the context of what's happening and Zebulun and Naphtali there. So let's go there, okay? Look at um, Isaiah 8 in your Bible, verses 19, and we'll read this through the end here. Here's what the scripture says here. It says, when someone tells you to consult mediums, 
and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land when they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will, and then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. So, so what you get there a sense of is what's happening to this people who have been so humbled and are so distressed that they are following the conventional wisdom of the day. And here's what the conventional wisdom of the day was. When you find yourself in trouble and you don't know what to do, and there are bigger questions than you have answers for, you can consult mediums and spiritists. In other words, you can cry out to dear departed Aunt Ethel and see if she can help you from the realm of the dead. That, that's what was going on here. The, the people... We're being tempted, we're being drawn into when they found themselves in difficult times and they found themselves overwhelmed by the darkness of actually turning to more darkness, basically. You know, it's no different than people who get into astrology and that kind of stuff. Look, that, that's not, that has no answers, no light in that. That's what the people's were, people were up to. And, and, and it kind of reminds me of the present day because we have people in our current culture who will tell us to do everything except return to the Lord. Don't we? I mean, we, that's, that's the way our culture is. The overwhelming message of our culture is turn to this, turn to that, but, but never turn to the Lord. You know, in, in their times, they were consulting mediums. In our day, we consult media, right? We turn to media. You know what? Social media. Social media, is, people are on social media and they're spilling out their hearts and they're, and they're clicking on cheesy links and reposting them and saying, hey, if you do this, God will wink at you or something like that. It's crazy. Listen, that's junk. It's junk. We turn to media. Not only that, it's the stuff that we see on TV. Fill in the blank of your favorite preferred TV network. We turn to media. That's, that's the message. The message is, turn to something else. And beyond that, I think American people, particularly, are prone to just look inwardly, to look to ourselves. We like to lean on our own understanding. You find yourself in a tough situation, I did it my way, right? We, we find ourselves, we say, I'm going to dig myself out of this hole. I'm going to look inwardly. No. The scriptures say, don't look to the media. Don't look to the spiritists. Don't look to something external. Don't look within. Look to God. We're called to be a people who turn and look to the Lord. You know, these people who were being written to in these days, they had the law, the Old Testament law, and they had the prophet Isaiah who was standing in front of them saying, hey, no, no, repent. Look to God. He will lead you out of this, this darkness. But instead, they turned away from that and went towards other things that had no light in them. Well, we have the Word and we have the Spirit. Don't look to something else. Find yourself. Find yourself in the midst of darkness and struggle 
and turning to the Lord. Pray. Open the scripture. It's very simple. But discipline yourself to call upon God's spirit to bring about light in the midst of darkness. You know, we're, we're working through this devotional uh, called Goodwill, which has an album, of course, along with it. If you don't have one, make sure you grab one. Give one to a neighbor. It's not too late. We just went through the first week, and, and in this first week, there were several great devotionals, but, but the, the one that really stood out to me was one written by our own Eileen Hodgetts. And she wrote a devotional uh, that was inspired by the song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. And she said something in the midst of this. She kind of interprets what that means, and she says, it means be at rest in God's peace. Not be at rest in the media, or be at rest on, on Facebook, but be at rest in God's peace. This is the meaning of the song. So when the song says, God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. Oh, tidings, right? It's remember. Not remember what other people are telling you, but remember Christ our Savior in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your discouragement. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas to lead us to make us victorious over the powers of hell and evil. Look, turn to the Lord. That's what the message is. Don't turn to anything else. There is darkness in this world, but we have to turn to God's word. We have to turn to Christ. Now, quickly, the tone changes. Isaiah's tone changes here. And if we go back to 9, after he describes the darkness, and we get a sense of what's happening, we get a sense of the light. And here's what I want you to hear. There's, there's light in the midst of darkness. He begins, by the way, in, in verse 1 of 9. He says, I love this, nevertheless. That's powerful because you just read what he described about people looking after mediums and spiritists and, and, they're, and they're being led astray and they're kind of groping about and, and in a bad place. And he says, nevertheless. In other words, despite the fact that people's hearts are hard, despite the fact that people are arrogant, Despite the fact that people turn away from God, he says, nevertheless, God's going to do this. Pick up in the second half, verse 1. In the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those uh, living in the deep of darkness, a light has dawned. This is the message. The mood has changed, and it's based on God's intervention. There's a reversal of fortunes here that Isaiah is talking about, and he says this. He looks. This is the prophecy. He looks, and he says, in the future. Let me give you a picture of what God's going to do. There's going to be a light that's going to come to the people who are in darkness. Now, let me tell you about this in the future part. We actually know how it ends. We actually know how the prophecy was fulfilled. If you, if you jump with me to the book of Matthew... New Testament, of course, Gospel of Matthew. And you look there in chapter 4, we actually see directly 700 years later a fulfillment of the prophecy. Check this out, okay? So let's get there. Let's see. Matthew chapter 4, okay? Verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. John the Baptist, that is. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, 
which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. You see, Naphtali and Zebulun, these areas that had been decimated, historically really put down in a bad place, they were especially honored by the ministry of Jesus. This is one of those 300 plus prophecies that's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And it says, uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. It's referred to, in Isaiah, it's referred to here in Matthew. Galilee of the Gentiles is kind of a nickname of that area on the map I showed you. That's because it was a mixed people. There weren't just Jews there. There were Gentiles there, non-Jews there. And, and these were a people, a common people, tradesmen, farmers, carpenters, people who worked with their hands, who lived day to day. It's the kind of people that Jesus came to. Don't you love that? You know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which we celebrate at Christmas time. But he took his ministry and he set up camp significantly in Capernaum. That's a big deal. He traveled north a great distance. He left Judea behind and he went to the northern reaches. He went to the land that had been known as Zebulun and Naphtali. And, and there he ministered in powerful ways. In fact, Capernaum in that area is called Jesus' own city. That was his hood. That was his place. That's where he rolled. That's, that's, he knew all the streets there. And here's what Jesus did there. It was the center of his ministry. Jesus performed, in this area, he performed more miracles there than anywhere else. Jesus preached more sermons there than anywhere else. We have actually a picture of one of the places, more archaeology for you. Check this out. This is a synagogue, the ruins of a synagogue in Capernaum that you could go to today where Jesus Christ preached sermons right there. Real stuff, not made up. Jesus, Jesus called his disciples in Capernaum, his own city. He called Peter and Andrew there. He called James and John there. He called Matthew there. You see how the ministry took place in the place where God had prophesied he would do such things. He absolutely did them. But it's interesting. It goes beyond that. Let me take you real quick to the book of John. John uh, chapter 8, verse 12. And, and I want to read this to you. Because you may think, well, hey, this is a nice history lesson. And it's cool that this prophecy was fulfilled. Good for those people who lived in those days. No, it goes beyond that. Look at, look at John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said... I am the light of Capernaum. No. I am the light of Zebulun and Naphtali. No. I'm the light of Israel. No. Here's what he said. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus had a bigger vision than just fulfilling a prophecy in those days for a certain people. His ministry was for all the world. And so when we talk about the light, i got to tell you how bright 
this light is. Jesus is the light of the world. You know, just as one sun enlightens the whole world, so does one Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. This is important. You know, thinking about light and darkness. I'm an early riser. I get up early in the morning pretty much every day. And uh, most times when I get up, of course, it's dark in the morning. And, you know, being the thoughtful husband that I am, I don't want to turn on the lights and interrupt my wife's beauty sleep, which is obviously working, right? So I don't want to interrupt, I don't interrupt all so. so I get up, you know, and I, I make my way. Well, recently, you know, I get up, and I know the lay of the land. You know, there's, for instance, at the foot of the bed, this wonderful bench with very sharp corners that Lisa has placed there. And then we've got like the cord for the fan that blows on us while we're sleeping because we can't sleep without that. I mean, even though the house is already cool, we got this fan blowing on us all night long. Anyone else do that? We got this fan. I mean, it's like, you know, I have eight, eight covers to top me though. It doesn't make any sense. We have this fan blowing on us. There's a cord draped there. I got to watch that. And then recently, Lisa was involved in this project that seemed like it took a really long time of organizing clothes. You know, we have all these daughters. And so she had these bins that were stacked up and, and she had... Um, piles of clothes laying around, and the effect was, they added a degree of difficulty, that there was now this narrow pathway on top of the other, the other stuff that I had to get through to get where I needed to go, which was the bathroom. I needed to get to the bathroom at 5 a.m., you know, first thing in the morning. So, you know, with all that in mind, it's like, okay, let's set about, and I thought, oh, God, thank you for such a godly wife who puts, you know, before me biblical illustrations of the narrow road which few will find. So, you know, I get out of bed and I'm going to make my way to get to where I need to be. And it's almost like, you ever see like the person walking on hot lava, you know, where you're doing this thing? And, and I'm walking through the bedroom like this, trying to get to where I need to get to. And I, and I know that the narrow way is coming up. I can't see it, but I know it's coming. And when I get to the narrow way, I, I think I'm going to get through it. And all of a sudden, what happens? The big old Craig trips. And it's like I got sacked by T.J. Watt. I end up like literally sprawled out on the floor 5 a.m. My wife doesn't even wake up. No help from her. Now, mind you, as I'm doing all this, I have a cell phone in my hand that has a flashlight that I didn't turn on. And isn't life like that? Aren't we like that? Stumbling about in the darkness. You know? Some of you know that. You, you once were lost, but now you're found. Amazing grace. Some of you haven't quite discovered that. You, you know what you're doing? You're stumbling about the darkness. Why don't you throw in the light? God has provided a light to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was born. Hallelujah for Christmas. Jesus lived the life. He, he, he came back from the dead. He's enthroned, and he made a way. And by God's Spirit, we can know him, and we don't have to stumble around in the darkness. You don't have to be discouraged by the darkness of this world. There's a way. Listen to John 1.4. John 1.4 says this. You, you heard John 8.12. Now listen to John 1.4. It says, in him was life, in Jesus was life, and that um, I'm sorry, it was life, and that life was the light of all, of all humankind. It's like, would you throw the light on? 
You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to, to be afraid of the dark. You don't have to stumble about. Jesus came to chase away the darkness of sin. The darkness of discouragement. I wish you would turn to him. I wish you would say, God, I need the light to make my way through the darkness. It's a reminder to you who know Jesus. It's an encouragement to you who don't know Jesus. Throw on the light. You don't have to grope about in the darkness. You don't have to fall on your face. There is a way through the night. Speaking of the night, we, we had a wonderful weekend here at Christ Church. Urban Impact puts on this incredible Christmas pageant that Robbie was telling you about every year. If you didn't see it, you got to put it on your calendar for next year. It's amazing. And um, we have some pictures of it. I want to show you some more. The spectacular, the artistry, the elegance, the beauty, the, the, the kids themselves, all the leaders poured out. You should have heard the jazz band. Just unbelievable. I mean, this place was filled, standing room only. It was amazing. And this deal is called Light the Night. And that's not just a catchy name that rhymes. It's called Light the Night because it's meant to send a message about what Urban Impact is a part of. Because there's, there's darkness in this world. You know, in, in that part of the city, and in any part of the city really, there's, there's the darkness of poverty. There's, there's the darkness of fatherlessness. There's the, the darkness of being under-resourced. We can go on and on and on. Here's what the message is. Hey, the light of Jesus Christ in the people of God is way bigger than all of that. The, the, the idea is that the light will shine in the night, in the darkness. You see it? It's powerful. So when you sit back and you watch this, you don't just see a show. You see a demonstration of God's light in this world that will never, ever be overcome. This darkness will never, ever be drowned out by the darkness of this world, this light of Jesus Christ. It will never be. You know that song, O Holy Night? There was a devotional on that this week as well. And O Holy Night is one of my personal favorites. I think the combination of the music and the words and the drama of that song, man, it just like gets you right here, doesn't it? Tears, it's powerful. And, and the words go like this, if I can find it. The words are, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining in darkness till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Why? For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A light, that's who Jesus is, coming up on the horizon. The song paints a picture for us of the great light of Christ in the midst of the darkness. But then there's this second verse. And the second verse is a little more obscure. We don't often sing it. And the second verse, which isn't there that I have to put on the screen. It's not even in our book. That's how obscure it is. The second verse says this. Led by the light of faith, serenely beaming, with glowing hearts, by his cradle we stand. There's this, this change in the song that goes from talking about the light of Christ to the effect that the light of Christ has on us. That this light leads us and draws us in. That somehow we are affected by this light and it causes us to glow. 
You see, this is an important point, and this is the part where we talk about you. There is darkness, there is light, and then there's us. Let me read to you one last scripture from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 14, I'll read through 16. It says, you are, you are the light of this world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I want to tell you something. Light and darkness will always coexist in this world. On this side of eternity, there will be darkness. But there's light. There is light. And here's the thing. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But he says something different here. He says, you are the light of the world. It's both. He is the light. He's the source of light. But it doesn't stop there. You are the light of the world. Listen, if you find yourself discouraged by the darkness... If you look out of the world and you see all the things that are broken and aren't working and it leads you to a place of discouragement and even despair, I want to tell you this. Lift your head up. Get your face out of the dirt. Quit feeling bad for yourself. Quit feeling negatively about this world because you belong to Jesus who is the light of the world and said you now are the light of the world because you know me. You are to shine in the darkness. You're to be a representation of my life and my love and my goodness in this world. You're not to be someone who's just somehow in despair because of the darkness. You're called to be a light. You are the light of the world if you belong to Jesus Christ. You don't have to have your face in the dirt. You don't have to walk down around with your shoulders slumped. You belong to Jesus. And you can do something about the darkness. You, through the power of Christ, shine like a light on a city on a hill. Don't forget that. You've got to hear that. We've got to take that seriously. We're taking it seriously here. You know, we've been working on this, this goodwill movement. We just started last week. And the idea is that in a real simple way, we could shine the light of Christ. Do something nice for someone. I was with the guys this week, and we together did something good. We shone a light for a person. You can do this. Find a way. The only thing that limits us is our imagination. Do something. Be creative to bless someone else, to show them an evidence of the hope that lives within us, the light of Jesus be the light of the world. And when you do, give them this card and there's a little thing that will lead them to, to hear the gospel. They could even share their stories and people have started to do this. We have a website and people are doing it. I have a couple of the stories here I want to read to you. Here's one. Uh, someone said, and this person's name is, is Devin. Devin says, we just moved into the neighborhood last month and we haven't really met all of our neighbors yet. One of them dropped off a gift card for a restaurant in the area along with this goodwill card. We were taken aback by the thoughtfulness of this kind gesture. Thank you for this gift and for your effort to increase acts of goodwill and kindness to others. A little light in the darkness. Really simple. Or how about this one? This is, this is a person who actually did the act of goodwill, given a testimony of what happened for them and, and how it worked in their life. This person says, it's more blessed 
to give them to receive. I had the opportunity to deliver a Goodwill devotional today to two recent widow neighbors. Scan the music on their phones. Got to help those old folks with the iPhones. Uh, Scan the music into their phones, and they were thrilled. You all made discussions on Christ and the gospel easy while uplifting to those who need goodwill the most this season. It's a real simple, practical way, just one way, to be the light. I'll close with this. In a couple weeks, we can't wait. Christmas Eve will be here. It's awesome. And this room will be filled. And a a big part of that ceremony, a crescendo, is always when we light the candles and we sing Silent Night. I love that moment, don't you? We have a picture of it here. And when we do that, you know, there's this beautiful display of candles raised around this room. That's more than just a sentimental moment. That is a moment that communicates a great truth. And here's that truth, that Jesus is the light of the world. And that light spreads from person to person. And then that we in turn reflect his light and we become the light of the world. So when we hand those, pull those candles up, it's saying something. It's saying, hey, we remember we are called to be the light of the world. So what are you waiting for? Don't allow the darkness to discourage you. Don't let it make you stumble. Don't let it bring you down. Because in Christ Jesus, you, my friends, are the light of the world. And the darkness doesn't have a chance against the light of Jesus Christ. So go in his name. Go and be that light by the power of the risen Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus who is the light of the world. And as we consider this great light, Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to lead us out of darkness. Lord, I pray that each of us would trust in him and not stumble around in the dark. But trust God in the light of Jesus to lead us to life everlasting. And I pray, God, that we in turn would be a people who shine his light. Strengthen us, God. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us a will to act. To be the light of the world that Jesus has called us to be. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you, God, for the light. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.